Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine, and I'm so happy to have you with us today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If it's your first time joining us and you're wondering what's wrong with this guy, last week uh, we had a very special guest. He's actually a part of our church. Martin Jones got up here and preached with a funny accent, and it was incredible. And if you missed it, I really would encourage you to go online uh, or onto a podcast and listen to that message. It was so good. Thank you so much, Martin Jones, for doing that. We love him. You'll be hearing from him again. So, you know, if you could just put up with my boring, normal voice for a little while longer, I promise we'll pepper in a little flavor here and there. And so, well, hey guys, today we are in um, the end of our series called Anonymous. We're wrapping it up today. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about these anonymous seasons of our life, these moments when we feel unnoticed, unseen, where we're wondering when it's going to happen for us. When are we going to see our dreams come true? When are we going to make it? And we've been studying Jesus's time in the wilderness at the end of his long anonymous season and the temptations that he faced there and Really, we believe that the temptations Jesus faced in the wilderness, they're the same ones that we face in our anonymous seasons. And so we've been learning from Jesus how we can overcome those temptations. And so today, uh, we're, as we close, I want to talk about the temptation of authority. The temptation of authority. The devil tempted Jesus with quick, easy authority. A shortcut. See, we live in a society that is obsessed with shortcuts. We love shortcuts. We are an instant pot culture. Simply putting the ingredients in the crock pot in the morning and then going about our business for the rest of the day wasn't going to work for us. We needed a device that could do the same job in three minutes total. We got an instant Pot. This is the culture where we have something called seven-minute abs. Have you ever seen the commercials for seven-minute abs, and it's a guy with an eight-pack of abs, and I'm watching this thing thinking, no way, nuh-uh. My dude has devoted his entire life to those abs. I'm not buying it for one second. Seven-minute abs on the radio all the time. I'm hearing a commercial for a one-hour real estate seminar guaranteed to make you a millionaire. Guaranteed. One hour of your time is all it takes to learn all you need to know to become a millionaire in real estate. We love a shortcut. We love the easy way. We love the, the quickest path of least resistance to get to our dreams and to our goals and to get the authority and the influence that we crave. Often we are looking at the highlight reels of others because it's so easy now to curate an image of yourself, to curate a pathway that you took that may not be true because of social media and all the ways that we present ourselves there. Often we look at the path of somebody else or the influence they've been given and we think, you know, why was it so easy for them? Why did they get there so quickly? How come it was so simple for them? I wanted to be that easy for me, I once heard a story about Pablo Picasso, the guy who painted the sideways faces. 
He was in the later years of his life and he was eating at a cafe one day and while he was waiting for his check to come, he was just doodling on a napkin, just a little doodle by Picasso on a napkin. As soon as he paid his bill, he crumpled it up, threw it in the trash can and a woman who'd been seated at the table next to him ran over and grabbed this doodle out of the trash can and said, excuse me, may I have this? I'll even, I'll even pay you for it. She knew who he was and saw her chance. And Picasso said, absolutely, you can have it. That'll be 30,000 francs. And she said, what? That only took you five minutes to draw. And he said, no, that took me 40 years to draw. You see, so often we only see the end result. We only see the part of somebody's journey that they've been willing to show us. And we miss all the development that has happened in order to get them there. And it puts this desire in us to get where we want to go as quickly as we can. We often want what takes decades to happen for us in days. Jesus was anonymous for 30 years, and we don't know a lot about what happened during that time. We know he was likely trained as a rabbi, meaning he spent a lot of time in the temple, received more training than most, maybe had a couple students who would listen to him teach. We know that his father, his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter or a construction worker of sorts, and so Jesus probably spent time in that trade as well. We don't know if he was good at it. We don't know if he could cut a straight line or not, if his tables wobbled. We don't know. We don't know what he yelled when he hammered his thumb. Probably, oh my dad, that hurt. That's a really bad joke, and I even wrote it down, but I decided to share it with you today. We do know that he was patient. We know that he was kind. We know that he never sinned. We know that he put in a lot of work during that anonymous season. When people would ask him to do miracles or to do anything that might reveal himself for who he was, he would always reply, My time has not yet come, a sentence that so many of us could learn from. And after 30 years of anonymity, Jesus was baptized, and at the baptism, heaven would open up, and God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And everybody heard it. And then after that public display of affirmation, Jesus was led into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And at the end of that time, He was tempted by the devil himself. First, the devil tested his appetite. Turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry, but man cannot live on bread alone, Jesus replied. Then he tempted his desire for affirmation and identity, for people to know who he was. If you are the son of God, jump off the highest point of the temple and see if God saves you in front of all these people who would see. But Jesus says, do not test the Lord your God. And then finally, in verse 8, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. And the devil left him, and it says, Angels came and attended him. And this is the temptation of authority. Maybe in the context here, it seems a little bit silly. Why would Jesus bow before Satan for authority? That doesn't feel very relatable to me. He's the son of God. He is God himself in the flesh. How could he need anything that Satan could offer him? Why would he be tempted by that? But the Bible says that he was tempted. And there can't be any temptation without desire. In order for there to be temptation, there has to be 
desire. For example, if you were to say, John Mark, I've paid for your meal at this all-you-can-eat buffet of vegan meats. You can eat as much as you want. There would be no temptation in my heart. I would have no desire to eat any of that food. It would be as safe as it had ever been before me. However, if you were to come to me and say, John Mark, I've prepared for you a buffet filled with all the finest smoked meats you could ever desire. There's sausages made up of four different kinds of animals on there. Then I would be deeply tempted to commit the sin of gluttony. You see what I'm saying? No temptation without desire. And so what did Satan have that he could tempt Jesus with in this moment? What kind of authority could he offer him? Second thing you need to remember is that the devil's really good at this specific temptation. The temptation of authority is the temptation that the devil began with. It's the one that got him kicked out of heaven. The devil's origins come in pieces through Scripture in Ezekiel and Isaiah, the Gospels, Revelation. We get little parts of it throughout Scripture. What we know is this. At one time, we believe he was a ranking angel in heaven named Lucifer. He dwelt with God among a race of beings who dwelt with God. They were created to worship God and do the work that God created them to do. And Satan, or Lucifer, was there in heaven and he became jealous of the authority of God. And he wanted it for himself. So he persuaded one-third of all the angels in heaven to recognize his authority instead of God's. Wrap your mind around that. I just can't imagine that it was easy to tempt the angels to fall. One-third of all the angels in heaven... These angels, these eternal beings were created by God to worship God. But Satan convinced them to worship him instead. I wonder what he promised them. I wonder what the conversations went like, how he tempted them. I imagine it was similar to this. They waged war with heaven, which ultimately resulted in God sending them from his presence to earth where they would wait for their final judgment. So Satan had been peddling the temptation of authority since his fall from grace. He had gotten very good at it. He'd been doing it in men since the dawn of time. From the very beginning, he was offering them things, making promises of this temporary facsimile version of influence and authority. It was his bread and butter. And perhaps he thought that the humanity of Jesus would make him more susceptible to this temptation. Perhaps in his arrogance, he thought, if I could persuade a third of heaven... Surely I can also persuade the Son of God. And perhaps he had something that would appeal to the humanity of Jesus. Because Jesus was going to receive all authority on heaven and earth. In fact, in Matthew 28, 18, at the resurrected Jesus, as he's about to ascend into heaven and he's given the great commission, he says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So it was his. He was going in the direction to receive all the authority that could be given. But the pathway there was very difficult. It was full of pain and suffering and the darkness of death. And what Satan offered Jesus wasn't something Jesus couldn't get on his own or that he didn't already have. It was a shortcut. Bow before me and you can have all the authority without the suffering. You can have the influence without the pain. You don't have to go through this thing that I know you fear. 
And that's what makes it relatable. It can feel a little unrelatable to see Jesus being tempted and think he's Jesus. But Jesus knew full well that the pain of the cross was in front of him. And we can all relate to what it feels like to want the reward without the pain. To want the influence without the suffering that might take to get there. That's where Jesus is in this moment. The devil offers him the reward without the pain. Which is something that we want, especially when it comes to our dreams and our desires the life that we see for ourselves. We want the life we've pictured for ourselves without the difficulty, without the trial, without the suffering that might be between us and that life. And so we face the temptation of authority because what we really want is power, position, fame, recognition, influence, more money, To make our lives better, we think the more authority we have, the better our lives will be. We want control. We often feel like we have no control over our own lives, and we're willing to do whatever we have to to get some. We want to do it our own way. We, we, We serve long enough underneath people, and we start to see their weaknesses, and it frustrates us, and the enemy will start to really put these seeds in our heart that if I were on top, I could do it better. My way would, would be better. It would bless people more. It would, I could do this so much better. And instead of doing the character work to follow even a, a leader that's difficult to follow, we want to jump right over and say, I could do it better if I could do it my own way. Or we want authority because we just have it in our hearts from the moment that we're children that it must be better on top. It must be better than this to be in charge. And we, don't, we want all these things, and we don't want to have to go through pain to get them. The temptation of authority is the temptation to gain authority by any means necessary so that I can use it to benefit myself. And that's where the danger lies. See, we carry authority differently when we earn it. When we go through anonymous seasons on our way to get it, when we struggle when we work, when we move in the path that's in front of us instead of forcing our own, when we have to fight and scrap and work to get there, we carry the authority differently. Anonymous seasons strengthen your character to carry the weight of authority. And this is important because your competence will take you places where your character can't keep you. Oftentimes, if we're smart enough, bright enough, scrappy enough. We can find ourselves in a position of influence before it's the right time, before we're ready. And I don't know how many stories I know or how many you may know of people who have gotten there on their competence, but their character broke when they got there. Anonymous seasons strengthen our character to carry the weight of authority. So what do we do when we're tempted to take a shortcut? When the temptation of authority comes our way and it pressures us to use whatever influence we have for our own benefit instead of for the benefit of others. How do we stand against it? I think we can learn these things from Jesus. First thing that I learned from him that will help me when I'm tempted by authority is to develop a submission-based authority. Develop a submission-based 
based authority. In verses 10 and 11, it says, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is a part of the Trinity of God. He's a part of him. But even Jesus understands the importance in this season to submit himself before the will of the Father. Jesus was both God and man, but he recognized his authority was in submission to the Father, which gave him the strength to resist this temptation. Maybe you hear the word submission and red flags fly up in your heart. You're like, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't like that word. I don't like how it feels. I don't, I've got all kinds of weird stigmas attached to it. Submission feels like oppression to me. I don't know if I believe God is an oppressive God. I don't know if I could rely on that. But I think there are so many red flags in our hearts around the word submission because so many men who didn't earn or deserve authority used authority to oppress us into submission. See, submission is a very good thing when you serve someone who is gracious and kind. Submission in the context of submitting to the will and the path that God lays out for us is very, very, very different than having submission forced upon you. Similar to in marriage. In a good marriage, you submit to one another out of love, as it says in Ephesians. You submit to one another out of love because you know that each of you has the interests of the other in mind. That's when it works. And in the kingdom of God, we submit to God the Father even in the authority we're given because we know that the one who created us has in mind what is best for us. Here's what that means in simple terms. Instead of striving to gain influence that benefits me, I strive to gain influence that benefits others. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you were called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever I receive, be it authority or freedom, I leverage it for the benefit of others, never for the benefit of myself. Jesus modeled this perfectly for us. He was given power and authority and the Holy Spirit before anybody else had access. He's God made flesh. He was there when the foundations of the earth were laid. But he submitted that authority to the will of God and made himself a servant to all mankind. At the, last, at the last supper, he and all the disciples walked into the upper room for a meal and they all had dirty, dusty, sandal feet. I hate feet. They had the grossest feet. And Jesus, the one who had authority over all of them, who had authority over all the world, took off his outer garment, wrapped it around his waist and grabbed a basin and began to wash their feet, because he really just needed them to understand. In the week prior, as they were on their way to Jerusalem, they had just had this big argument. They were walking on the road, and Jesus is up ahead a little bit, and the disciples are in a gaggle behind him, and they're all arguing about who's going to have the greatest position of authority in the kingdom that is to come. Who's going to be seated next to Jesus on his throne? Who's going to have the most authority? Who's going to be the most important? It's going to be me, obviously. No, it's, it's definitely me. Because we're always struggling to gain influence we don't deserve. And Jesus calls them over and he hears the conversation. He rebukes them and he says, no, 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 you don't, you're missing the point. I know that here on this earth that you have authority and you rule it over the people around you, but, but that's not going to be the way it is with you. No, with you, whoever is... Whoever is first is going to be last. And whoever is last is going to be first. 
And Jesus is like, nailed it. Just drop some truth bombs on them. They've got this now. And he walks away and he's thinking they got it, but they start arguing again. They just don't get it. And Jesus is he's, he's getting ready to leave. This is it. These men are going to go lead the church. And so he needs a final object lesson for them to really to begin to understand what it means to have authority and the submission of God. And so they get up to that room, and this is a job for a servant or a slave. It's the lowest person in the household that washes the feet. What a, dis- a disgusting role. It would be unheard of for anyone with any kind of authority to ever do this. And so Jesus begins to wash feet, he scrubs them, he washes them, he makes them clean. He says this, this is what he said in John 13, 12 through 14. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's not setting up some sacrament of foot washing here. He wasn't saying, you guys have a new job and it's feet. It's all feet all the time. He was trying to help them understand what it looks like to have submission-based authority. Jesus had authority over all of them and he served them. This is the way we're called to lead. See, the disciples weren't ready yet. All of us, we're hardwired to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves important. These guys still had some character work to do. They were all going to go through some pretty serious struggles over the coming weeks that were going to shape them and prepare them for what God was calling them to do. That's what anonymous seasons are all about. Don't shortcut the character work that is happening in you right now because it is preparing you for the positions that are coming tomorrow. We need to learn to develop a submission-based authority because the influence we have submitted to the will and the ways of the one who gave it to us is the kind of influence that is not just going to serve us, but it's going to serve everyone who we influence. And the second thing we need to do is develop an eternal perspective. If you're in an anonymous season right now where you feel left behind and forgotten and ignored and you're tempted to take whatever shortcut you can to get ahead and to move up to find a better position in life, slow down. Be patient. Every week in this series, we've talked about the importance of patience. We're in such a hurry. Slow down. Be patient. Anonymous seasons give us a moment to gain an eternal perspective. Jesus was taken up on this huge mountaintop where he apparently could see the glory and the splendor of all these earthly kingdoms. I don't really know what mountain that was. If it is, I'll climb it. That sounds awesome. Maybe it was something spiritual. Maybe it was a vision he was given. Maybe it's kind of like I once went up to Lookout Mountain in Tennessee, and they say you can see seven states from up there. I don't believe it. It just looks like a bunch of trees to me. I didn't see a single line drawn. Couldn't be true. Either way, what we know is that Jesus was given this incredible perspective, this 10,000-foot view where he was able to really see from above what all these wonderful things looked like. And the devil thought for sure that would tempt him. For sure, once he could see it, it would tempt him. But Jesus already had a better perspective. He had an eternal perspective. And his eternal perspective was so much bigger 
than simply being able to see all the splendor and the glory and the riches in this world. His eternal perspective allowed him to see beyond that. Now, see, Jesus knew that the suffering he was going to face, he was scared. He was scared. Even in this moment, I imagine he was scared. He knew where he was going. And in fact, we know the fear Jesus had because of the story of what happens the night he's arrested. He's in the garden and he's begging his prayer to God is, God, please let this cup pass from me. If there's any way that we can save all these people without the suffering I'm about to endure, can we do it that way, please? But not my will. Your will be done. You know, there's... It describes in the Bible that he starts sweating blood. And, you know, we've, we've said, well, maybe that's just uh, hyperbole. You know, maybe it's just trying to express him. But there's an actual medical condition when you're so stressed and so anxious and so afraid that the capillaries in your skin burst. Blood comes out like drops of sweat. He was terrified. He was human and God. And the humanity in him was about to be brutally murdered for my sins, for your sins. I just think it would have been so easy for him to shortcut that. But he wasn't doing it for the authority. He had an eternal perspective. And his eternal perspective said that the consequences in eternity are far more important than any gifts I'm given in this life. And you and I need to have that same perspective. We need to build it, to grow it. We get so fixated on what's right in front of us, on the temporary. But there is a much bigger picture. When you get to heaven, God is not going to look at you and say, John Mark, did people appreciate you enough? Say, you know what, God, I don't think they did. I love Skittles. Nobody hardly ever gave me any. John Mark, did people reward you enough? You know what, God, I don't know that they did. I love a compliment. Couldn't hardly ever even get my children to tell me a nice thing. John Mark, did people listen to you enough? Well, let me tell you, if you got time, God, because let me tell you a story. That's not what he's interested in. He's not going to ask those questions. He's going to ask, John Mark, did you love me? John Mark, did you love others towards me? Did you submit to my will and my word? John Mark, did you live your life for what I died for? How did you use what I gave you? How will you answer? And which questions matter more to you right now? Which of those questions drive you, drive your decisions, drive the path you choose? It's time to gain an eternal perspective, to stop being so focused on what the world tells us to focus on and to stop thinking about, start thinking about the things of God. You're going to be given influence in this life. I believe it. I believe every person in this room is given influence. Maybe you have it right now. Maybe you don't yet. But you will have influence, influence over your children, parents. You will never have more influence over anyone than you have over your kids. Influence over your spouse, influence over your friends, influence at work, influence at church, 
influences in the spaces you live. How will you use it? Will you use it to benefit yourself? Will you take shortcuts? Will you move around the character work that needs to be done? Will you grow who you are? Or will you use whatever influence you're given to grow them, to benefit others, to care for them, to give influence to them? I don't think anybody would choose to live in an anonymous season. It's hard. It's frustrating. But it's preparing us for all that is coming next. So take heart. Be patient. Trust God. Take the path that's in front of you. Do all the work you can. Grow. Get closer to who he's made you to be. And good things are coming in the right time. If you're in here this morning and You've never been in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've spent your whole life just trying to matter. You've struggled for influence. You've tried to take every shortcut you could. You felt this need to be seen and valued and respected by others. I want to tell you today that the only reason you have that need is because you were created with it. And there's only one person who can fill that need. No amount of authority, no amount of influence, nothing you can do in this life will ever fill that need, ever. Only one thing, a relationship with Jesus. And you can have that today, and you can be satisfied. He says, uh, drink from this fountain and you'll never be thirsty again. And so, if you're in here today and you'd like to enter into that relationship, make that decision, would you just bow your head and just say this prayer with me? This is how it starts, the beginning of it. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mistakes. I give myself to you. All that I am, I am yours from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can stay seated for a moment. If you just prayed that prayer and made that decision, I would love just to be able to help you take your next step. When, you, when we finish up service here, if you'll just walk straight out to that table back there that says, what's my next step? And ask that question. Somebody will be there glad to answer any questions you have and help you connect with this family so that we can together make the next steps that we need to take as a family. We really just want to be able to be a part of this journey with you. And so we'd love for you to join us there. If it's your first time, I'd also remind you, fill out a little information on that Connect card and drop it in that box on your way out. We'd love just to say thanks for being here. Well, today is a special Sunday. It's bittersweet. Bittersweet. Today, we are saying goodbye to some founding members, Robbie and Chelsea Denson and their family. If you are new to our church and you don't know much about our story, you should go to Growth Track where you'll hear the whole thing. But the short version is that in 2013, I felt, Rail and I felt God was calling us to start a church. And I'll never forget it. It was like I heard his voice tell me to do this thing. And my answer was, I'll do it if Robbie will do it with me. I think that God puts people in your life sometimes for a very specific reason and purpose. And I just believe that the reason that I met Robbie when we were unruly teenagers was so that we could make an impact in this city together. Will you guys come up here? We met together in a rental house in Kenilworth in 2014 with a spiral notebook and wrote down a bunch of ideas about what we thought the gathering church would be, what it meant, 
why God was bringing us to this specific city. Honestly, most of it was gibberish and made no sense. A lot of bad ideas in there, but a few things stuck, like the culture that we wanted to create here of family and community, a culture that the Denson family has imparted into this church. There is a difference between teaching you something and imparting something in you. See, when you impart, you give a piece of yourself that stays. You've imparted that culture of family and community into this place. You have opened your homes to freedom, to healing, to the most difficult conversations you may ever have. (laughs) You have changed us. You've changed me. I am the leader that I am today because of you. You've made me better every step of the way. Always. It was your number one mission was somebody has to do this. Somebody's got to make Chamark better. <laughs> it was Robbie. I've, we've had the privilege of watching your boys grow up. Josiah and Makai were just little roly-polies kind of wandering around, rolling on the floor, getting into trouble all the time when we started this thing. Angel, we've got to watch you just grow into an awesome man. I mean, we were just, Rail and I were talking yesterday about how you've been like the protector of all the little kids on our staff team. They're going to miss you so much. This past year and over the course of many, many months, lots of prayer and seeking direction, Robbie and Chelsea have felt a change in their hearts and have felt God calling them into a new season. There's no secrets. There's no drama. If you want to ask them about it, you can talk to them about it after service, but we have never and never will be, have never been and never will be a church that operates with closed hands. We are a church of people who lead with open hands. Wherever God calls and leads, that's the direction we go. And so I'm sending, we are sending Robbie and Chelsea into this next season of their lives, into this next season of ministry, into this next season for their family, with our blessing, with favor, with honor, with gratitude, with the joy that you've given us in our hearts. You are our family. You're more than a friend to me. You are a brother. Your family is my family. I love you from the very bottom of my heart. Always will. You will always have a home here. And we We just ask for favor and blessing on this next season for you. I'd encourage you today, if Robbie and Chelsea have been a part of your journey at all, don't let them leave today without telling them that. Encourage them, bless them, honor them. I just believe that this family deserves all the honor and all the blessing that we as a church can give them. Would you give them a little bit of honor this morning? We love you. He loves it. Some character work to be done there, Makai. <laughs> Let me pray for you guys. Would you stretch out your hands in blessing as we send them this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift that is the Denson family, Lord. I thank you for the way that you brought them here into my life. I thank you for the way you've transformed me through them, for the way that you've used them to shape my character, to shape me. Lord, I thank you for the many lives they've impacted here in Asheville, in our city, in our church, God. All the people who went from death to life in their home or in their conversations. All the people who went from places of bondage to places of freedom under their care, under their leadership, Lord. I pray, God, 
every blessing of heaven on their family in this next chapter. That God, you would give them greater favor than they've ever had before in this next season. That every move they make, they would never make alone. That God, it would be covered in every gift you have to give. I ask it for them. They've earned it. They've earned their rest. They've earned this time. And so God, I just pray favor and blessing over this entire family as they go. We send them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. I've cried a lot up to this day, so I'm feeling all right right now. If you're wondering, if you do know our church, you've been here a while, and you're getting a little worried. You're thinking, that's the other half of John Mark's brain. What's going to happen? How are we going to do this? How are we going to make it? I want you to know that God never, ever misses the timing. God's never surprised. He's never, he's never not preparing us for the next season, for the next step, for, for what is coming. For the last four years, Mikey Holmes and his wife Morgan have served at our church, have been training to step into this position. And Mikey, a few weeks ago, was ordained as a new pastor here at the gathering. And it started by saying, you'll take over one or two of Robbie's responsibilities. And I think we've given him the whole thing now. And he's crushing it. He was built for this season. He was built for what's next, for who we're becoming. I believe as a, as a community of people, you should always be growing and moving forward and changing in, in good ways. And Mikey is the person who God has been preparing for this next season. And he and Morgan both are such an asset to our church and our team. And I'm so honored to be able to lead with you. I'm going to miss Robbie and Chelsea and the family that they are to me. But I am excited to move into this next season of leadership with these guys right here. This has also been a season of change for so many of us, and we've been re reorganizing how we, how we lead as a church, and one of the ways that we're doing that as well is we've added a board to our church, an elder board, and honestly, we've just got the greatest board members that I think any church has ever had, and I'll be sharing all that information with you in the near future and introducing to them to you, and I just believe they're going to be a blessing to you and a blessing to our church, and so good things are on the horizon. The future is bright for the gathering church, but today we're mourning a little bit. We're grieving because some of my very best friends are, are moving into the next season. So uh, let me pray and, and I'll close us out in prayer today and everybody just swarm the Densons all at once after that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the way that you're using this church, God, for the move that you're doing in this place. I thank you that you never have a surprise coming, that, that you're always preparing the next season for us. You're planning for the next season for us. And so, God, I just am in I'm in anticipation on the edge of my seat, waiting to see what you're going to do next. I believe our city will never be the same. I believe that we will never be the same, that there is a big move coming at your hand in this place. And God, today, we we just show gratitude and honor and joy over the Densons and pray that your move goes wherever they go next. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.